Welcome to the Africa Arena podcast, the African tech and innovation audio show. Now, for those who don't know, Africa Arena is a pan-African ecosystem accelerator whose mission is to help African startups access bigger markets and raise more capital. Each year during our tour, we scour the major capitals of the continent in search of the most game-changing startups in each region, which we then bring to our annual summit in Cape Town of November that year. In each episode, we chat to the most interesting thought leaders, founders, investors, and corporate change makers of our time about their work, impact, and ideas. We unpack their many insights around innovation, growth, the challenges we face, mindset, and of course, investment, because our mission is to accelerate the rate at which our ecosystems are growing throughout this incredible continent of ours called Africa. So with that said, let's get stuck into this week's episode with me, your host, Patrick Craig. Right, guys, welcome back to the Africa Arena podcast. In this episode, we get stuck into the very hot topic of scaling. Many startups and businesses battle to scale or fail at scaling. And so this episode is dedicated to those who want to learn and those who want to grow. Charles OJ, the founder of Hyber, dives deep into how to scale, what it takes, what are the many challenges that many businesses face, and what to do next when trying to scale your business. He's joined by a fantastic panel lineup, which was recorded at our 2018 summit. And they introduced themselves, so I won't go and double up, but it consists of Miss Aubrey Hubri from Insider and African Expert Network, Antoinette Profi, the founder of 88 Business Collective, James from the Western Cape Initiative called Westgrow, and Eitan Stern, the director of Legalese. So with that said, let's get stuck into the super insightful discussion around how about go about scaling smartly. Uh, good afternoon, everybody. Um, really nice to have you all here. We have a very, very good panel, and I'm sure the next 35 minutes would really, really be interesting. Uh, I would like to uh, introduce Eitan from Legalese to come up the floor. And Aubrey. Pleasure. And James and Antoinette. Can we give them a, a round of applause as they, as they come up? Thank you. Charles, Thank where you. are you going to sit? I'm going to sit. OK. Yeah. And, uh, good. Excellent. Great. Um, so we're, we're, we're going to start with, um, with, with a couple of introductions to talk about you know, ourselves and also introduce ourselves. My name is Charles OJ. I'm the CEO of Hyber. Um, we are a pan-African uh, innovation advisory firm, and we help to scale startups on, on the continent. So um, scaling is, uh, is a practice for us. Mm -hmm. uh, Antoinette? Hi, guys. I am the founder of the 88 Business Collective, and we're an accelerator program for female founders based in Cape Town. Uh, good afternoon, everyone. My name is James Milne. I head up the investment promotion unit at Westgrow. Um, for context, Westgrow is a governmental agency um, mandated to support tourism, trade, and investment into the Western Cape province. Hi, everyone. I'm Aubrey Ruby. I'm the co-founder of the Africa Expert Network and Insider, and for the last 18 years, been helping investors invest in African markets, helping African companies raise money in the U.S., and making angel investments into fascinating startups. Uh, hi, everyone. My name is Eitan Stern. Um, I'm a director at Legalese. We are a legal practice that caters specifically for uh, creative industry startups and uh, tech companies. 
Excellent. You're all welcome. Uh, so the, the topic in front of us today, which is a very, uh, is a very interesting uh, subject matter that actually has been you know, going on. Uh, and for a lot of things, it's, it's really a big theme now. Uh, some statistics uh, uh, that, we, that we have is you know, uh, a report that was written by Deloitte. Um, they say that globally, only 0.5% of, of companies uh, scale at their fifth year. And there's another statistic that says about 86% of uh, startups die uh, by their second year. And what we're trying to do in this panel is kind of like demystify this whole thing about scaling and you know, bring our perspective around you know, what, what is it, what does it take, you know, where, where are the challenges, and, and what should we do next as, a, as an ecosystem to, to enable uh, our startups even scale into or out of, of, the, of the continent. And I, and I want to direct my first uh, question to you, Aubrey, um, when you, and with your experience and, and you know, being on the continent and you know, working with about 30 countries and working with a lot of, of startups and entrepreneurs, uh, what, 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 do you, what, what do you see the, the, the landscape as from a, from a scale-up standpoint? Mm -hmm. what, are the, um, what are the ingredients that our founders really, really need to focus on if they are to scale. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, and for those of you who heard me speak earlier uh, this morning, I hope it's not too redundant, but uh, I think the challenges are that we're in early stage in terms of the startup ecosystem in African markets. We're very early with uh, venture capital and with, um, you know, exits in particular. So th without that kind of data, it's hard to know what the success factors are. And with any kind of question which focuses on success factors, you always risk the uh, kind of mental error of survivorship bias and looking back at those that actually make it and making generalities based on those uh, and not looking at the kind of full cohort that started at the exact same time. Um, given that reality, I think the, 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 the kind of key ingredients of success that I see of firms that are successfully scaling are the founding team has had experience before, mm -hmm. um, so they've learned the hard way usually. They're not generally a first-time founder. Um, of course, there are exceptions to that rule, but generally the teams that have been in fast-growing environments before learn, how, learn a lot of things from that that they, they'll tell you they couldn't have learned any other way. Mm -hmm. So that's one. Um, the second is that the teams that are successful in scaling often have international linkages. They have connections from their own personal network. They have the ability to bring in the right technology. They have the ability to raise additional money externally. They have the ability to do new market entry. Um, and then lastly, I would say, I mean, I have others as well, but I'll focus on the fact that they continually pivot until they find product market fit. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's not like in the US where people talk about a pivot. Uh, pivoting is a way of life in, in African startups, and they continually pivot till they find that product market fit. And then often that pivoting and that operations is starting out in a larger market, which helps them get scaled domestically before they have to go internationally. So I'm seeing more scaling happen out of South African companies or Nigerian companies or Kenyan companies um, because they have a larger operating realm to begin with. They can get to a larger sustainable scale before they try to go to new markets. 
Very interesting. Thank you so much for your for your insights. And and um, it, it you know you mentioned the word experience, and uh, it's it's good we have actually a founder here who is uh, who's scaling her business. And 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 Antoinette, I want to really kind of like you know uh, you know focus on you now, and you know if you can share with us your your own journey and and some of the and I'm going to somewhere with this, you know, because yeah. uh, sometimes when, when we look at when we read uh, the, the the press uh, releases and some of these things, we see the you know the good picture and. and I would love you to also kind of like throw some insights in regards, what are the, thing, the challenges that, you know, founders like yourself have to deal with and these obstacles around even your scaling as a, as a business? Yeah. Thanks, Charles. So I started on this entrepreneurial journey 14 years ago. So talk about experience. I've had some hard knocks and I've got yeah. the T-shirts and the scars to show for it. Um, and in 2010, I had the opportunity to work with Africa's Youngest Billionaire. So we expanded our ad agency from Johannesburg to Uganda and Kenya. And it was an organic expansion, so I had no sugar daddy, no rich daddy, no struggle daddy, <laughs> um, no investor, so we funded that expansion ourselves. And I'm happy that I did it the hard way because I learned so much. That was probably my street MBA. Um, one, I learned as a female founder, you walk into patriarchy head on in mm -hmm. other markets. So in South Africa, for those female founders that are South African based, we have it real good in South Africa. We have patriarchy light in South Africa. In Kenya and Uganda, it was on another level where I had to explain myself as a woman and my face and my boobs became an obstacle in those boardrooms. Um, so what we do now with our female founders is help them strategize and meander in and around that maze because unfortunately it is what it is. Um, and it's probably going to take us a while to, to change um, the way that most African countries do. So the first thing was learning how to meander around patriarchy in the boardroom, and it was hard. It was not easy. Um, and then secondly, it was the fact that, unfortunately, I was faced with my value system. I came head on with my value system because when I started my business in my mother's lounge 14 years ago, I promised myself two things. I will never close a deal on my back and I will never pay anyone under the table to close a deal. So in East Africa, unfortunately, as we were going towards the bigger deals, we were, it was almost a requirement to pay someone something under the table. And I said, I'm not going to do it. So, because I refused to do it, I eventually had to pack up those offices, close it up, and go back to Joburg with my tail between my legs. And it was hard. It was probably one of the major failures that I've had to face over the past 14 years. But also, on the flip side, it was my street MBA, so <laughs> I learned quite a bit. Well, this is this is uh, this is quite uh, this is really interesting, and you know, hearing yeah. it from a founder and and you know, sharing your own journey and experience, one of one of the things we look at in in scaling and we teach this is you know some of these small smart moves. Mm -hmm. um, you 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 might not have put it in your playbook, you might not have put it in your business plan, but yeah. there are definitely some steps that you took as a founder and some decisions that you made that basically propelled you into the growth that you're experiencing today. Mm -hmm. uh, would you want to share like from your experience? Experience and obviously for uh, to the benefit of some of the founders here, what, what were those like? You know, one two critical moves that you that you made that really was a defining moment for for you as a, as a scale up. 
So I think the first one was probably 14 years ago, leaving McKinsey and Company and starting my first business, Afrofusion, which was an advertising agency. And starting that business with 200 rand and a laptop in my mother's lounge. Again, a difficult start, um, one that didn't have investment, but it taught me quite a bit. So that in itself was defining. And then the second one was definitely the East African expansion. One, the ability to be surrounded by money on another level, right? I was working with Africa's youngest billionaire. I mean, that's just a completely different level of engagement. Um, that redefined my approach as a female founder to making money. Um, I think a lot of female founders have a very unhealthy relationship with money. So we come into business and it's more about our heart. So we're operating out of our heart space. We want to impact our communities and we want to do this for the continent and we want to see that for the continent. And it's hardly ever about the bottom line. It's hardly ever about profitability. So being in a space where it's only about profitability and it's only about the bottom line. Definitely had me have a paradigm shift of note. So even though the expansion failed, I came back to SA with a completely different mindset. And yeah, um, I had to liquidate Afrofusion in 2015, which was another tough thing to do. When you're employing 60 people and you have to sit across from 120 eyes and tell them this, it's over, that was hard, it was tough. Right, but I'm entrepreneurial, so yes, I could have gone back to the likes of McKinsey and found a job, but my essence would not have allowed me to. Um, so the defining moment there was learning not to make emotive decisions. I think the other thing female founders do that inhibits growth, inhibits scaling, is that our business has become our baby. And I can definitely say that Afrofusion was my baby. <laughs> um, so when I liquidated it, it was a very emotive space. So what we do now with our accelerator program is that we get female founders out of that emotive space um, and help them to move methodically and make strategic decisions for their businesses. Interesting. Interesting. I, I want to build on, on, on this, uh, on your, your approach and, and what you did expanding, taking your business from South Africa to East Africa in Kenya. And, and, as we, and as the topic really looks at, you know, mm. into and beyond Africa, you know, part of scaling, there's this notion that, I mean, uh, Aubrey, you said scaling domestically, but also scaling out and yeah. expanding internationally. And, and, uh, and James, I, I want to, sorry, Ethan, mm. you know, expanding in Africa and going out of your local market, a lot of people say, you know, sometimes the jurisdictions are an issue, even receiving investments sometimes. Um, they say, um, you know, the legal framework of, of, of the companies is really sometimes really critical. The jurisdiction that these companies need to play in can also be a defining factor. What, what are your thoughts from a, from a legal standpoint and from a jurisdiction standpoint? What is it that we need to uh, do differently or what, what, are, what, what are the pointers around you know, positioning to scale uh, from a legal standpoint. Okay, cool. Um, first of all, I just want to say it's, on, uh, it's, it's interesting to hear you say it's the female entrepreneurs that they consider it their babies and are emotional. I'm yet to meet an entrepreneur who's not emotional <laughs> about, their, about their business. Mm -hmm. People say it's like, it's just work. You know, it's not like, it's, uh, yeah, it's not just work. I think it's everyone your is, it's your life. 
Um, that's what makes entrepreneurs successful, essentially. I mean, look, so, so my view on scaling, it's going to always, because I'm a lawyer, it's probably going to come a little bit differently to what, you know, the traditional thing that you'll hear. And I, I was walking through the lobby and you see the sign that says, you know, screw it, let's do it, screw it, let's win. It's like, that's not... That, I, I don't believe that that's the, the exact method for success. Um, and so it's like, you know, and so while you definitely have to have, you know, guts to, to expand, you have to have an attitude that just to, to push forward. Um, I think the, the, the people that succeed and the companies that succeed are the ones that don't just say, screw it, let's do it, are the ones that say, screw it, let's do it, but let's, like, let's check out what we're doing over here. Um, so, <laughs> wow, I feel... I feel like such a lawyer. I feel like if I looked at myself... But you don't look like ago, a lawyer. I don't look like a lawyer. I think like a lawyer. <laughs> I, look, I think like a lawyer. When you walked in, and, uh, I'm James. I'm like, oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, okay. So, so expanding, so it's an interesting thing. So, you know, what do you have to think of from a legal perspective? The answer is everything. And where, issue, where legal issues arise, they arise not in the things that you thought about, but in the things that you kind of ignored. So, you know, your company structuring is always going to be an issue. And when you're structuring, just like if you're building another story on a house, you know, you need to think about the structure in which you built on. Built on. Um, so your structuring is an issue. If you're taking other people's money, you're taking other people's money. And it's, you know, people, people love their money, and people care a lot about their money. And so suddenly, and that's something which we see founders struggle with, where it's, it changes your business from business that is founder-focused. As soon as you have investors and are scaling and there's more interested parties, there's a lot more opinions, and that's, and that's a very, very real thing. So, you know, I often think for, for, for founders, like the first question in scaling should be, do you really actually want to be doing this? I promised I wouldn't say that today, but there it is. Um, <laughs> yeah, and then, and then there's, you know, so, you know, so cool. So you've set up your structure. You understand structurally how you're going to do this, what, wh who's involved, who's getting what out of it. And then you've got to start to think about the, the operations, the business, the logistics, which, which while you are growing, these things all become more important to kind of have worked out, to understand. And then there's this kind of concept. I was actually at a conference yesterday in Joburg on regulation technology, and they were speaking about this. And there's this idea um, where it's like, cool, we've got a South African business, and then we've got rest of Africa. And rest of Africa doesn't see rest of Africa as rest of Africa. Like, um, you know, each country is a unique, well, each country, each little community within a country, each city is a unique industry or, um, or um, you know, community which you are having to launch your business into. There's, you know, if you take, if you have a tech product or a software product and you're scaling throughout, outside of your country, your regulatory environment is different and rest of Africa has very, very different rules for each country. So that's certainly something which we see people overlook is the regulatory environments and it's, and it's real, that it's mm -hmm. becoming realer and realer. You know, the consequences of getting the regulations wrong, specifically when you're dealing with payment systems, with uh, FinTech, with all the cool and sexy stuff. You don't. You want to know what you're doing. So, and that's something which which we're bought because we deal with technology and anything is possible, which is an unbelievable mindset to like grow up in. A anything is not possible when you deal with regulators. Um, so that's something. It's a it's a very real uh, thing to consider. And then of course there's brand. You know, you you're taking your brand out. You you are changing the environment, like the 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 community in which sees your brand, which it operates. And then there's there's an aspect of that. You know, from something as simple as you know, is there another company called the same thing as yours in a different country to, you know, does your concept work in a different country? So, 
Um, yeah, so there's a lot to consider. The one thing I just want to rest because I feel like that was actually more kind of negative or cautionary than anything. <laughs> the one thing I do want to say about, about scaling is, yes, you know, a lot of people come to us, and we, talk, we mentioned this just before we, we sat down. There's this idea of, like, people come, they're like, well, what can we do to ensure we can scale? And while I believe it's very good to think ahead, I also quite certainly believe that in business, certainly with startups, you, or in commercial law in general, you can play the hand that's in front of you, and you can maybe think one step ahead. But pretty much just about anything can be worked. If you've planned for something, if you've got a structure, it can always be worked out if you change. You can't plan, you can't, I guess what I'm trying to say is you can't start a startup thinking about international expansion. You mm. can just start a startup to do, to start up. And that's, and everything else can be worked out when the time comes. Most things can be worked out the time comes. So, you know, it's, um, so yeah, I think there's a lot to think about, but there's also too much to think about sometimes. That. I mean, one part yeah. that you just yeah. said, and I, I kind of take a little bit different view on, is, mm. is while I agree with you that you can't start a startup with the aim of international mm. like scaling, mm. I do think that when founders, especially seasoned founders, are looking for their second or third mm. business opportunity, you can choose sectors mm. or spaces where you know scale is built in from the beginning and have 100%. some sense of the yeah. scaling plan yeah. while you're building the business. It's a little bit like when you make a fund or you make a, you're in your fund and you make an investment, you're already kind of thinking about exit potential. For sure. And it's not that you can plan that far in advance. It's just that you're choosing among different things and one of the, one of the criteria can be scalability yeah. potential. 100%. I guess, yes, 100%. I guess it's, uh, and definitely when you're dealing with uh, seasoned founders, uh, there's a lot more that's on the table in front of them because they understand a lot more of what to expect. But I definitely agree with that. I guess the thing which I'm talking about is it's, you know, if we think, it, like, if you are thinking about what's your best tax model to, like, manage your profits yeah, yeah. well enough, well, let's first get profits and then we can work yeah. out the best and the most efficient tax model for it. Mm -hmm. And it's that sort of stuff. So I guess what I'm actually just trying to say something like, don't worry about it to some, mm -hmm. like, don't worry too much about it. If you get to the point that you'll scale, you will scale. Um, and they, yeah. You know, you've, you've, you've said some things that really, really gets me thinking. And, and you've also... That's like my favorite line to hear ever. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because this whole thing about jurisdiction, and you also said that, I mean, there are two sides of the coin. There's one side of the coin that which, which Aubrey is, uh, is positioning in, mm. in is, you know, you, you start from day one, but you're also building and thinking about scaling yeah. even internationally. Yeah. And sometimes the, 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 the legal framework on how you set up can, can play an yeah, active absolutely. role in that. And there are some examples of companies who are doing this. Even when you look at the fintech space, mm. you know, they set up in, the, in their local domestic market, but they also set up in, in an international market. Well, for example, a lot of the Nigerian players, mm -hmm. they have U.S. firms. Exactly. They're, they're holding, they're sitting on a, a structure that allows them to have a Nigerian firm that's fully owned by a, a foreign firm, which is their ownership, but it allows them to then get money out of Silicon Valley much mm. easier yes. and transfer yes. it much easier and have yes. it, per, all that kind of thing. Then they have their Nigerian entities set up so that if they get Naira-based investment, they can keep it into that bucket. But there's a lot of very uh, thoughtful structuring yeah. that takes place. Yeah. For uh, sure. I guess, I guess that's, the, that's kind of the... 
And feel free to side away from this conversation if this is not the best. <laughs> but I, I suppose that's the exact sort of thing. So we get a lot of founders, and I guess the key point is here, we, we might be talking about different types of founders. Exactly. We're but, we, but we get a lot of founders who have heard about these sort of structures, and this is, and they've watched one too many episodes of Silicon Valley, and, <laughs> and this is like becomes a lot of the focus for them. Yeah. How do we make sure we can get an American investment? Or how do we make sure our money is not held in South Africa because we don't know what's going to happen? Or how do we make sure we have a Mauritius structure? Everyone mm -hmm. needs a Mauritius structure. And then it's, you know, when it's, but the truth is it's it's often not a priority at the beginning and uh, and you know you might not let's say you get your Mauritian structure or your money in America if your salaries and operations in South Africa you're gonna have a very difficult company to run and that's something I guess I guess in the structuring but you know I don't, I'm not actually disagreeing with you I guess in the structuring <laughs> phase this is the point which I'm trying to say there's like some planning that is very specific to your company and there's no like cookie cut yeah. method of this is how you structure a startup and um, so from a legal point of view, I suppose that's an interesting conversation to kind of start yeah. off to, to think how many steps, what can you plan out and, and what can't you? There's certainly different, different types of, of mm. founders, for sure. I'm talking about a pretty elite yes. international yeah. type yeah. founder yeah. Um, who is not on their first startup yeah. and who's gone through some of this before. Yeah. But even with them, often when they're taking in Series A um, yeah. money and they're going from seed to Series A, the, the, the venture capital fund will pay for some restructuring because yeah, they want them restructured in a certain way. So again, that's the problem you can face when you get there. Um, but then I think there is, to your point, on the cautious side, there are cases where people prematurely try to expand abroad and they don't mm. even own their home market oh, yet. Sure. I mean, yeah. people want to know that you're dominant or owning your home market. Yeah, and so you don't want to like necessarily uh, look away from the home market if you don't have a really solid footing before you go to, to other markets. Yeah. If I can jump in there, mm. I think it's so important, and you keep saying this, it's so important to plan, to mm. plan that expansion, plan that scaling. And I think a lot of founders or entrepreneurs are usually rushing towards that vision, rushing towards this big thing that they want to build or these billions that they want to have in the bank. Be methodical in your approach mm. and plan that expansion. So have a good team of advisors around you. Have a good team, an executive team or a board of directors that you can, that can rein you in. And I wish that I had that because mm. <laughs> I was a bit of a wild horse. So I wish that I had someone that could just rein me in. So just be methodical and strategic in your approach. I'm going to take one or two questions from pretty soon. But James? I can't. <laughs> I've, I've not talked to James <laughs> being government sitting here. You know, which he's, is a he's doing very what, No, he's doing what government does best. Sit back. <laughs> <laughs> Let the private government, sector take yeah, over. I'm huh? enabling this conversation. That's exactly right. You know, it's an enabling and, environment. And Aubrey talked about this whole thing about domestic growth. And sometimes we as founders really talk about we don't have the enabling environment to do mm. this. We, we struggle a lot. But sometimes it's also about how do we engage with government in a way that, that can be of advantage to us, mm. whether as investors or founders. Mm. What are your thoughts around this, uh, James? Well, I think the, the conversation's been interesting. It's also why I've been leaning back, is that there's a lot of, lot of interesting <laughs> stuff that's been said that, that is very relevant to what we do. And I mean, I like the way it's framed, you know, if you look domestically and you look internationally. So number one, domestically, um, a lot of people look at government and they either hate them, number one, off the bat, because they've had regulatory issues, mm. or they don't know how to engage them. Um, and particularly in this sector, when you're looking at earlier stage companies, startups, technology, Government equally has been described earlier today as a dinosaur, and it's fairly accurate in, in most scenarios. There's a lot of old furniture in government that doesn't really understand what, what the tech ecosystem means and what it works for and what it needs. 
Um, and as a result, uh, one thing, you know, that, that when I look at domestic markets and, and growth and expansion, obviously a key thing that people are looking for is accessing funding. And one of the best ways to access funding on a cheap level is through government grants. Is government doing it right at the moment in South Africa to enable startups? I would say not really. There are grants available, but they take loads of time to access, loads of complexity. It really just isn't a favorable environment for startups. Mm -hmm. The next component then, I mean, if I just park that on the side and then I start say, okay, what about looking beyond the market? So if you look internationally, government's a little bit more effective here, um, in, in my opinion anyway, in that they, they certainly are quite good at providing support and funding to get companies out from a trade perspective. So taking people to trade shows, getting them out there, pushing the product, but I will say they haven't understood trade and services. So mm. it's easy to take someone with a widget yeah. overseas and sell that widget, but take someone with a software program sure. and you know people are a little bit confused about what to do. And I think that's why I was interested by your conversation now, because we get a lot of startups coming to us and saying, Brilliant. I'd, I'd love to join you guys and go mm. to Angola and Nigeria. And you're saying to them, like, are you certain you have any grip on what you're even doing here in South mm. Africa? Mm. And what's going to happen to you when you go to Nigeria and you actually get a good point of contact and you've now got a big contract to deliver on? Are you prepared for that point? So mm. I think, Antoinette, you make a very good point that you know, startups are always off, or often headstrong. They're mm. looking to get out there and promote themselves. But at what point is it right for them to be allowed mm. or supported by government to get out there and, and enabled into that market? Um, so broadly speaking, I mean, you know, as, as a governmental player, I think government has a lot to learn about how we should be supporting startups. Um, I think year in, year out, there's debates about how where should government be? What should government be focusing on to enable the startup environment, the SME environment? I still don't think government's got it completely right. I mean, to me, I, I said it this morning, the key is that government actually does as much as it can to step out the way, to make mm -hmm. the regulations work for the businesses and let the businesses start working mm -hmm. forward. And then maybe beyond that, you start looking at from a funding perspective, not messing around with government trying to understand particular businesses, but maybe matching with particular funds in the private sector. That, that means that the money is well understood, well managed, or looking at particular incubators or accelerator programs that can actually take startups in a particular direction. So, you know, say you want to grow a particular sector and then enable that sector into markets where we're competitive. I think mm. that's where government should be looking. So Wonderful. Wonderful. <laughs> uh, we're running out of time, but does anyone have any questions? Uh, yes, please. I'll be there right now. Hi, my, uh, sorry, on. my name is Ian, I'm from Boston Consulting Group, so I'm not a startup, I'm a spy, <laughs> to see who's doing the right. Um, I guess my question is more to the more two ladies on the stage. So even though bottom line to Antoinette's earlier con uh, comment she made about heart and you know getting rid of your feeling side of it, how do we bring more of that heart into startups and to the in industry as well? Because even though it's patriarchal and the bottom line is important, it's not one-dimensional, and it's, it's not really sustainable from a future point of view. I, I think we need, as men, more heart, so teach us. And I would like to hear your perspective on that, how to bring that more into the market. And you're right. And I suppose what we're doing with our female founders is that we're bringing that balance, because this cannot override um, the bottom line, right? So it's just finding that beautiful balance. Um, and so what we're doing, and we call it our village, it's a very diverse village of males, females, all ages, all colors, 
everything. Um, and so being part of our village and for the males that come into the village as advisors or coaches and interacting with female founders, the change that I've seen over the past two years is that yes, they become a little bit more not emotive, but they're tapping into not just that focus on the bottom line. And I've actually seen two of our advisors who came in really hard and very bottom line driven, and I've seen that shift with them. So I think it is immersing yourself in a space like our village, for instance, where you are surrounded by female founders, so you get that perspective. But because it is a female... Um, dominated space, obviously it's a very softer space, right? So yes, we know how to generate revenues, we know how to make money, um, but what we're teaching our female founders now to do is to take that revenue and turn it into generational wealth <laughs> and get comfortable with becoming Africa's next billionaire, right? Um, so find yourself in a space that is more female oriented and there's tons, especially in Cape Town. There's us, there's future females, there's so many spaces that you can come into a village and learn and open yourself up to learning. Okay. Tigers can I, I guess I have a slightly different view. I mean, I think I've never met founders who aren't passionate about their companies. Uh, and that all varies, and I think they put a lot of heart in it. Um, but I think and um, heart or passion versus operating from an emotive space are two different things. But I passion also is essential. Met, I, I've met some of the most emotive decision makers I've ever met have been men, and you know, like I, I so I think it's uh, <laughs> out of anger or out of whatever. So I don't think I, I don't actually believe the stereotype that women are more emotive. I, I just in a, I in a decision making environment. I, I just don't. And I'm, I'm very involved in all kinds of women investment networks. I'm yeah. a chair of the Women's Private Equity Investment Network and do a ton of work uh, trying to get more capital in the hands of women allocators because that's what I really believe changes things on a gender dynamic is having the people who are making the investments be diverse, not just on the recipient end, but the people who are making the decisions because then they come that out. on the continent, though? Yes, they have a, they have a, they have, it's a global organization, Private Equity Women's Investment Network, but we have an Africa chapter. I could tell so, you if we've seen more different. tears in our office for men or women, but I'm under confidentiality. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. Guys, I want to thank you very much. I wish we could take more questions, but we're going to be moving on to, I wouldn't say more interesting, but equally oh. interesting thank panel you. discussions. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening, guys. I hope you got a lot of insights and learnings from that episode. As always, please do leave a comment or rate us below. And if you have any further feedback, questions, ideas, suggestions, we'd love to hear from you. So you can drop me an email on patrick at africarena.co.za. Till next time, have an inspired week. Cheers. <laughs>